back to the Masters of Modern. I'm your host, Alex Kessler. We are back from Summit. We are back from Magic 30. It has been double weekends, double the f- magic fun <laughs> in-person paper is back. Matt, in-person paper is back, baby. Uh, those, those are words. I said all those words. Uh, this is uh, for those who don't know, this is the Magic Modern Podcast. Uh, we, we do modern content, we do magic content, we do magic news, all those good things. Um, we are sponsored by TCG Player. If you want to uh, check out and buy some cool cards, if you're looking to buy cards at any point, if you just click on the link below, you don't have to put a code in, it just remembers we sent you. And it appreciate and we appreciate it. It helps uh, you know fund this little podcast that could. Um, also, uh, check out other sponsor, altersleeves.com. Uh, link below if you want to get to like the page of stuff. If you uh, check out our Patreon, our patrons for the month of October, November, December, and January all get a free altar sleeve that looks like this really cool uh, the Emperor versus Luke Skywalker lightning bolts firing at each other. It also, if you join our Patreon, get you get 40 minutes this week of free bonus content that we recorded before the show talking about uh, magic collections, talking about Black Panther, talking about the MCU as well. Uh, just a bunch of random stuff that we were talking about. It's, it's really great. You should check that out as well. Beyond that, Twitter has died uh, and uh, maybe died this week. And we're recording this on Friday who know, or Thursday. Everyone's saying it's going to die this weekend. We'll all find out tomorrow or next week. Uh, if that happens, uh, please, there's a bunch of other social media platforms below. Please follow us there because <laughs> Twitter Twitter is gone. Um, What's going to be your preferred uh, platform? Is TikTok, I guess, is your number one? Once for sure, gone? for sure, TikTok. I mean, TikTok will become like it's been in contention with Twitter, I guess, the, for the last three years. It'll become just the number one by a wide margin. I think like right now competing uh facebook which i'm opening i'll be just facebook friends with anyone uh facebook is open for friendship uh tumblr is another one that i've like started posting some of my good tweet threads into uh just to double up on and it like functions that are we're all already all on tumblr to follow mark rosewater so just also follow me that one is the only platform though that i'm not kess wiley because i can't get my kess wiley password oh, back brutal. so i am i am the kessel run there uh so you know star wars in it up uh and then i guess i have a mastodon i don't know how mastodon works they use emails or something it's bad i I mean follow me there i guess too i don't have a mastodon twitter so much (laughs) i have an old tumblr i'll have to try to like log in and see like what it is it's probably i think it was before i even used ben bateman media so it's probably like ben dot bateman or something i have the 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 kess wiley one uses my webisodes network email so i can't sign into it anymore because that website does not exist gotcha uh yeah well it's it's a crazy thing to watch um Honestly, it challenges, I think, our conventions of what seems like normal and possible, just given the size of Twitter and how it it in my mind, it seemed impossible that somebody could buy Twitter and it could just fail. I mean, like it hasn't happened yet as of the recording of this podcast, so it may not happen. But given everything that we're hearing and, you know, it's a it's 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 a crazy moment. Like we've been got we've gotten used to using this app as the for me, I'm not sure if it's the same for you. It's my primary form of news. Like without without sure. Twitter, I guess I would have to like TikTok. Google search or something or like, like TikTok and Facebook again. I like I, I've already seen myself use Facebook more today than I have in a while. But yes, it's uh it's definitely a crazy moment. So uh, that has been happening over the last couple of weeks. You mentioned we obviously did Magic 30 a couple of weeks ago, which was cool. We got to do the summit, which was super awesome. We'll talk about that a bit on the episode today. 
congratulations to those folks for doing such a great job running a first time event and, and really making us as creators. And I think the community at large there feel super welcome, which was really fun. There were some big announcements that we're going to talk about as far as the schedule going forward next year. The MagicCon schedule was announced while we were uh, in Utah. Had you been to Utah? It was my first time. Uh, I have, but not in. So when you drive back, when you I, when you do a cross-country road trip, if you take the 70 route, which is the one that goes through like Kansas, Missouri, Denver, uh, you then go through Utah. So so uh, but I've only been to like the southern part with like the Red Rock natural national park as you like drive down from Vale th- to the grand canyon literally we like got through Vale, and the person i was driving with was like you know what i've never been to the grand canyon we have time to go we're going we like made a left the car broke down in the middle of the desert it was actually pretty scary uh oh we God. didn't die and we got to the grand canyon as the sunset and we were like the last people that led into the park this was better than her. Her. uh th- not this this was better than that. I'll say that. I didn't, I almost, I didn't almost die in the desert. It was cold. <laughs> it was really cold. It was, it was like 35. Um, it was really nice to be in a city where all the major hotels that were available were within a block really of the convention hall, half of the convention center, which when you go to the really big cities for the shows, it's not always the case, right? Like, Finding something that's affordable that is or is reasonable that's walkable is not always possible. And it's so nice when you can walk out of your front door and get there in like two minutes. Yeah. Before, before we jump too deep into like the accommodations, I do want to jump into uh, uh, just what was Summit. So because if you don't know, um, over the last two weeks, weekend sandwiching the two weeks, um, both Wizards of the Coast and Kingdoms TV, which is a YouTube channel, Friends of the Cast, and and you working with the Brandon Sanderson Dragon Steel Convention Company uh, through separate conventions, the basically separate separate cons uh, centered around magic, and kind of both looking at like what does a magic con look like, and obviously we talked a lot about the Wizards of the Coast one over the last two episodes. If you want to see our Magic Thirty episode, the most recent one before this was the one that was focused specifically on the convention, and we'll do a lot of contrasting through the show about towards it, but then this one felt was a much more akin to as far as like what was happening on site to a Grand Prix or what is what the old Magic Fest would have looked like. And in some ways, that was very welcome. Uh, the other thing that was very different about the two is which is the coast basically like hired eight to 20 creators specifically to work at the event, either on panels or in these really cool cosplay setups like uh, Olivia and Tappy and other than them and some wizards employees that were required to also participate in content. Those are the only creators included as a part of the promotion for the event. The kingdoms event was the opposite spectrum where there wasn't a lot of really cool flashy panels or stadium stuff. There were cool panels though, um, but nothing flashy. They did get as many creators under the sun in this massive library of creators to be able to go. And that was kind of their big marketing push. The big play map for the event is this giant image of like 60 different creators all on there and like in an Avengers Indiana Jonesy like pose. And so that added to kind of the little bit of an older school feel to a magic event where there was like a big event on the side. It was a big pre-release day, but then there's a lot of open play and other things to do felt more like an old school magic fest ran by channel fireball which is weird that that's old school or an old school gp before that sorry now we can talk about i wanted i wanted to explain for people that don't know what it is that's what we're going to be talking about we're going to be talking about how that kind of worked uh how the event went off pros and cons uh the creator program that they used itself and what were the benefits of it if there were any negatives uh etc and what it means for the future of events which like we mentioned earlier in the preamble there have been a number announced for this next year 
Um, yeah, it was a really cool thing. It was really fun to go. We, I got to play more magic at this event than I feel like I have in, and I played a good amount of magic at magic 30. Like I made an effort to play the main event and, but this was different. I'm not sure if you had the same experience. I think I probably had to have played nine or 10 games of commander, three drafts, two seals, three games of modern. I played magic for three solid days and I made an effort to do it with everybody from, our creator friends, fans of the show, strangers who I'd never met before. It was so much fun. I mean, like I brought, I did, brought 14 yeah. decks with me. I got to play every single one, but three, the three that I didn't get to play were, I didn't get to play a game of pioneer. I bought a grease ring deck. I didn't play an official game of artisan. So I had two artisan decks with me, Torwaki and uh, uh, the bird, the owl, the blue white bird. Yeah, the one that draws a card when you cast a, a yeah, spell yeah. from not your hand. Uh, and, and that one's a lot more tuned to like, I've played it in non-artisan games and it just gets stomped. It's playing a bunch of really uh, overexpensive cards, but it's like good in regular artisan. Uh, and then the third one was, oh, I, I, I had a cast foiled out pre-con. I didn't get to play. Um, but other than that, I played all other of, of the 14 decks I brought. I played 11 different ones and participated in an entire Innistrad draft and did an entire Chaos draft with you. So compared to magic 30 where i played a total of five games two of which ended within five minutes so they were like it was one game that ended in five minutes and the next one ended maybe in 20 minutes so so it was significantly more games one of the biggest differences between the two events and i think this is a good i think it's like a sort of a good comparison because i don't think that every single magic event going forward is going to be at the level of magic 30 or the magic cons that have been announced i think those are those are a few events a year that are going to be on that level. I think if there could be more events like summit, it would be great where it's anywhere between two and 3000 people. It feels like a very large GP. You have artists, you have vendors, you have tournaments and you have big open play area. And I think like one of the things I liked so much about this compared to magic 30 is 30 was so big. There was half of the people there that I wanted to see that not only did I not like, see because we couldn't make time i just didn't even accidentally run into them or physically see them i didn't actually like run into them on the floor right like right right, right. i didn't our, get a chance to see them like some of our good friends who have been on the show uh ashlyn or andrew brown who were there i like never physically ran across them andrew and i texted but like it was ten thousand people so it just there was a lot going on and we missed a lot of folks and at this event by the end of day one i had traversed the whole hall Several times I got to meet many people and throughout the weekend I got to hang out with our friends and I got to meet a lot of people who have supported our show and our adjacent shows of our friends and like get to talk to them and hang out and like <laughs> talk about the decks they wanted to talk about and, and play games. And I think an event of this of this size of the fifteen hundred to two, you know, fifteen hundred to three thousand, depending on the day is a really healthy place for magic to be. One thing that I do think it's really important for people to, to note is that 10,000, the, the magic 30 number, that's the same as the biggest magic event that's ever happened. Right. Vegas from like four years ago. Was like the biggest. Right. Like the Vegas that, that was a few years ago, which was the largest that had 10,000, that was 10,000 participants in the event. That is different than 10,000. There, there are much more people at that event than that 10,000. Right. I would say that event was probably closer to 15,000. Um, okay. based on the people who were shopping, people working the event, the people that were playing in the command zone, the creators that were around people that were just doing side events the whole time, right? That like that balloons up pretty significantly. Once you add 
the accoutrement of people that aren't just like, I'm here to play modern. Let's go. You're talking about the 2019 or 17 event, whichever one of those was the one that broke the record. Yeah. 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 And and all all of the magic fest Vegas, right? All, all three of them were record breaking and all of them because they worked differently, right? The first one was one big event. The second one split that event into four pieces. And then the third and fourth one were three day events that had three different GPs throughout the weekend, splitting it up. So, With that in mind, the Magic 30 turnout is more comparable to one of those sized events. In the old days of GPs, GPs would range anywhere between like 700 and like 2000 people was like, I would say the sort of average turnout. And you'd have them in some some seasons, you'd have 20 in a year, 30 in a year, have them every weekend for a while. The fact that this was 1500 to 3000 as a first time event, this is the first time someone's ever done this. Um is remarkable because it's the same size basically as the biggest GPs that weren't massive, massive anniversary events. And I spoke to the organizers at the end of the weekend and they were so excited and they were like, oh yeah, we're already planning next year. We're, we've got these ideas for things to do differently, for things to upgrade. Like, thank you guys for coming. This was phenomenal. Um, we got to be a, we got to participate. I got to play a set, uh, on, on Friday night. Uh, there was like a creator, party kind of get together thing they did. Um, and I, they, you know, they kind of gave me a little room and I, I played a short set, maybe seven or eight of my own songs and it was super fun, but it was like kind of set up and provided by summit, right? They were like, thank you for coming. We'd love to have you do this. That's such a cool way to include us like that. I mean, that really is a very, a very special thing that, uh, feels unique to this event and, and, and not the others that we've been to. So for me, I mean, there's a lot to talk about with summit, but I think the question of what are magic events going forward going to look like is the conversation I really want to have. Um, and do you have other thoughts on Summit before we start talking about, you know, yeah, the yeah. I, th- I think, you know, the 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 one thing that it proved is that cre- getting creators there is a way to get something to success, right? They outsold. They, they made their money back. They were not sold out, but they were close to sold out before the event started. One thing, the other point is that Magic 30 was a event that they thought was going to be decent that ended up selling out so quickly they didn't know what to do with it. There's a reason that pretty much within a month and a half of the Magic 30 event announcement and selling out, Wizards moved the event for the next one from Charlotte to Philly. And it's because the Philly Convention Center that they were able to get was significantly larger than the Charlotte one. And they realized that the space that they had gotten isn't enough for the type of events that they were trying to throw. And one of the big problems with Magic 30 was a spacing issue. They were in the one pseudo convention hall, really an office building ballroom building that they could find last minute in the middle of Las Vegas on the worst weekend to be there from a financial perspective for people visiting. There was a concert going on that weekend. There was another convention. There's two other conventions going on and it was Halloween car weekend. Show, dude. There was a full on car show next to my hotel. Yeah. Like a full on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was right. like four conventions. So, so th- at, 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 that's why they moved it to Philly, right? Cause they realized, Oh, this, these are going to be big events. This is something to go to. The Magic Summit event was also massively successful. They that made they made their money back, and they were they were in the black uh, as of opening moment, right before it even started. And from that point on, all of the cool product they were able to sell, all the events they were able to sell, all of that was really great. One thing I do think is that like there's an amalgamation of both events that kind of creates like the perfect event, right? The inclusion of creators at Magic Summit, and I'm not even talking about like like there was like small perks like helping you get from the airport. And, and like uh, a green room that was exceptionally nice that were cool, but I don't even know if that extent is needed, but I do think like their inclusion, I think their 
celebrity of the community that these people have been able to build, including ourselves, um, was really, really cool. I think it gave a lot of people that were going to the event excitement to be there. One of the coolest things about the Magic Summit event was the playmat that a lot of people got uh, had every face of the creator on it. And it created this scavenger hunt where people were running around the convention hall all weekend trying to get every single person on the playmat to sign. If you're one of the five creators um, that wasn't there, that was on the mat because of different life things that happened, uh, LSV, Z-Bex, uh, Vince, Pleasant Kenobi, uh, the, be prepared for people to show up at random other events in the future being like, hey, you're one of the few people I'm missing. Um, can you sign this mat? And I think that was really cool, right? I think that the way that people got there. So so the way that the system at MTG Summit worked is that if we were a creator, we were a creator, we had the code. We've been pitching it for the last three months and we got enough that we got um, a hotel room covered. Thank you to everyone that listens to this podcast that used our code to, to, to participate. I hope we saw you. Everyone who actually uh, said hello to us and were like, we used your code. Thank you. And that's so cool of you to do that because it did make our trip that much more awesome and, and really... Uh, made us feel very, very uh, supportive over there. So thank you for that. And, and, and with that in mind, um, I think that's totally fine, right? There's, there's a conversation on like, it's a lot of free advertising for something that if we didn't get something comped, you know, that, that, that there's like a, a question about that. I think that like personally in hindsight, if, um, and, and now that this was a successful event moving forward, I think this type of program, there should be an upfront, stipend of some variety uh you know a hundred or whatever dollars or maybe the plane ticket or hotel room just automatically costed and then the other part of that is covered with the advertising fee um that comes with people using your code right like i think that is that is a way to do it i think that that also makes it so like the significant amount of free advertising they got for a three-month period isn't just free and then you go and you didn't get paid to be there i think that's a benefit right i think that's that's something that like economically the way of creators getting paid is important to do um and and for the record this isn't for me (laughs) um this is for a lot of other people that had you know it costs money to fly there and they don't have all of the airplane miles that me and ben have that we're able to some way you know get there the hotel was very nice and is very appreciated and thank you for helping us get there but i think that there's a lot of creators that like this is a much more significant financial drain on them and if they weren't able to unlock all the things then you know, they gave a lot of free advertising for something that they then have to pay for. So I think that that does, I think there's a way to do that better. But at the same time, what they did is so much better than what Wizards did, right? Like I advertised Magic 30 for free significantly just by going and being a part of it and talking to people that I was going there and tweeting about going there. And it cost me hundreds and hundreds of dollars (laughs) to to advertise for Wizards. I was gonna say too, to add to that, like, you know, uh, your point you made a second ago, and this is something that you and I, I think, have talked to a lot of our colleagues in the space about, is that when we talk about going to one of these events and how we hope that we are able to use our code and promote and be you know, supported, but if we aren't, we're probably going to go anyway. It's because of the fact that we travel a lot for work. So we are, we, you know, you and I both came from Philly, right? We both came from a meeting that we were in in a different city. That allows us to, I think, go to these things and enjoy them as creators without the pressure of delivering a certain metric or a certain amount of tickets sold or something like that. That is not the case for people who are full-time magic content creators. Many of our friends who have a podcast, a YouTube channel, they depend on 
they depend on the support of the community, whether it's like affiliate codes to sell cards, or if it's a show like this, actually taking them out there and making sure their time is worthwhile. If not, they can't go, right? Like they have to stream. They have to they have to be streaming because that's their livelihood. And that's the difference is there's there's a certain luxury that I think you and I get to experience because we don't depend on the podcast to literally pay our rent. Your child is not uh, eating because of this podcast. And I think it's one thing that when listeners of our show and others need to acknowledge is when you support your favorite creator who is like a Twitch streamer or a podcaster and they talk about the necessity of doing this and they don't have a day job, like they're not they're not saying it like like please help. It will be cool if I get this many check marks for the, the event. It's like, they're saying it is, this is my livelihood. And I'm, and they're so appreciative that Summit is doing this and including them in this way. Um, and that is one thing I think that Summit did such a great job of is that once you were there as a creator, they had this great system where they went, okay, if you're a creator, you're here, you essentially have the VIP badge. And the VIP badge basically means that every single event through the whole weekend, if you would like to play it, you're allowed to. You're signed up. You're automatically pre-registered. You're you're pre-registered for a pre-release, for a draft. This means that if you want to sit down, somebody there will see you and they will want to sit down and play with you. And we're going to make it that easy for you. Now, what's funny about that is because so much time is spent playing games of Commander, hanging out, walking around, most creators at the most over three days probably played, I don't know, four events. And that's probably pretty generous. I don't know how many you played in. I think most people I know played in like two, one, like... The time to sit down and play in a full event that takes three or four hours is over the course of a weekend, quite the commitment. So to do three or four of those takes up a lot of the weekend, not to mention the creator clash thing that we're going to talk about in a second because it was super cool. Yeah. I mean, and, and like I, I would not have been able to go without enough people signing up for codes because that, that was one thing that made it so like, hey, Whitney, I, you know, this is being provided for. This is helping. Right. We can use this money. So and, 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 and to that point, like there is a lot of. There's a lot of ways this event treated people, not just us, the people that were playing it, right? The one nice thing is that if you had that VIP badge, you that's something that Magic 30 didn't have, right? That a a like on-demand event pass. Like the the one thing, and this is kind of the point, kind of getting past the like that part, is I was joking before going to this event that this event was about the gathering while Magic 30 was about the magic. Which in hindsight, I would almost say this event was about the magic and the gathering because I played more magic at this event than I did 30 and, and the 30 event was about something vaguely magic-y <laughs> with some gathering and some playing. But the, the, the other thing I do want to like on the negative side. So just some negatives for magic summit. Cause I, I do, do want to bring those up one thing. And, and, and it's, it's an interesting thing cause it's the future of tournament magic and it's kind of on wizards is tournaments. The tournaments were basically at both events, very 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 unstructurally run uh the like probably the biggest flaw of both at magic 30 uh there was massive issues with to running and having the fact that read pop signups and what events were happening when were delayed were changed and how they tied into the pastime system was totally messed up uh at mtg summit very similar issues where the app that they created had a lot of flaws to begin with and just getting the events running there was a two-hour break on day one for the original event and part of this is just because Wizards has gotten rid of DCI numbers and all of the tournament software that existed before COVID and the way people were running, trying to create this new software because they tried updating, but it's untested. No one knows how to work it. And when there's an issue, they don't know how to fix it. And so this event tried doing a different software because they didn't want to use that one that had its own problems. Magic 
30 had their own problems. And as these live large events start happening, there is a structure that needs to be created to make them feasible. And that just doesn't, if it does exist, neither of these companies used it and uh, it needs to become more, more established and, and ironed out. This event had the same problem that Magic 30 had that we mentioned, right? There is a generational loss of knowledge in writing these types of events that that with Magic 30, that was the big excuse. With this one, there's an extra layer of excuse. This is also the first event that these people ever ran like this. So there, there's a, an extra layer of learning that happened here. I want to talk about the creator clash thing for a second, um, because I think it's one of the coolest things that Magic 30 did, or sorry, that Magic Summit did. Um, it was, I would say that from an organizational perspective, it was almost the most successful thing of the event. Um, I'm not exactly sure who organized it. It was like DGen Gaming. I know MTG Nerd Girl was helping run the thing, but well, basically so, the... So I-, I can answer that. I know the answer to this. So, so this is the question. So originally, this was supposed to be an event ran by the event. Like okay. the people running the event were supposed to run it. Then on day one, the people that were tr- supposed to be on staff to do that got pulled into helping run the tournaments because those were such a mess. And MTG Nerd Girl is a force of nature who is just like fa- she th- she basically Thanos the entire commander clash and basically all of the casual play for the entire event. Right. She went from we're doing this DGen booth thing. It's over here. We've had I, I, we were signed up for it. There, here's a list of creators that are going to spend time in our booth and jam games against their friends and anyone who kind of wants to come play them. And that'll be great. Went from that to, oh, we're running the entire Commander Clash circuit single handedly. I'm doing this, you know, F everyone else. I got this and like and ran it. She like handled it entirely, was able to get the Commander Clash thing running, which was a really cool event that Ben was now going to describe. But <laughs> it was it was it, like they gave her like a, a free uncut sheet of uh, the um the uh the altered comic book versions of the 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 evolution that not not evolution the Ikoria evolve creatures oh sure, evolve. sure sure oh, those, mutate, yeah, the cool the it was it's the it's the comic book mutate um uncut sheet which is like gorgeous yeah and like because literally off the kindness of her own heart she did not have to do that and she like saved half the event <laughs> It was super cool. Do you, by the way, just non sequitur, do you own an uncut sheet of any kind? I feel like you yeah, got one at I own, one point. I own the War of the Spark one that they gave everyone that like tried buying that box and then where it was able to check out, oh, but they let too many people do it. Right. That's the only one. I've never I've never owned one and I actually thought about like that's something I think I'd like to own and get framed in my home. Like not that one, but an uncut sheet I think is something that would be cool. It feels like a piece of magic art that I would like to have. I have um, it. I have it right next to it's living next to Naruto uh avatar and then over there are three when you enter into disneyland they have those movie posters of different rides and so those are actually from disneyland they were from like a tv show set that they did to like talk about their thing and then a friend grabbed them and he gave me three of them so i have sunshine tree trash the uh uh the railroad and then uh, pirates of the caribbean posters So the Creator Clash event you were talking about that our friend MTG Nerd Girl uh, ran is the idea was they were going to have slots where every creator who was at the event would show up and do two to four hours um, of 
gameplay basically it, it, it's very it's just like the command zone it's just that like creators would sign up and they'd be at a table and they'd play for a couple hours but the cool thing was because they were promoting brothers war if you were a creator and you wanted to play commander they would give you a pre-con so that you had a deck to play and you got to play brand new cards and so people could play their decks against your pre-con which was cool so like i played the mishra pre-con however once you sat down if the people were like, hey, we don't really want to play a pre-con, play your own deck. You could do that as well. They'd still give you the pre-con, so you'd get to play that at other events or whatever. But like, you'd play two, three hours. And then the thing that I did was I got to draft. So they were like, hey, we have a group of people who want to draft. Will you be the guy, the creator in this pod to do a Brothers War draft? Like, sure. Sounds awesome, right? So I got to sit down and everybody was really friendly. And the guy who was sitting next to me that I played against, he had he had been a listener of our show for a long time and he was super excited to, to talk and hang out and he kicked my butt in the finals of the, of the draft. And, um, but I just thought it was such a unique and interesting way to organize a creator space where we just basically would sign up and get to go and be a part of things we were already going to do. I was already going to draft. I was already going to play commander, but it allowed people who, you know, were there and they wanted to meet their favorite creators to, accidentally be in a pod with someone they've maybe listened to or watched or seen or wanted to meet and in a totally non-pressure, no weirdness, no awkwardness kind of scenario, which I think is pretty brilliant. Like I think it was one of the best things the event offered. And I, I would hope that they and 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 the you know magic con events would adopt something similar because it's such a low pressure way to get the creators involved. Like it's such a great, it's a, such a great piece of a few hours to, uh, to volunteer your time for. And I think it allows you to interact with the community at large in a way that organically, sometimes it happens, but sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's kind of weird. Sometimes people are really nervous to ask you if you want to sit down their pod, or sometimes they, you don't know who to sit down with. You just end up sitting down with your friends. I played like a bunch of games. Actually, I didn't play that many games with you, but normally I would play like more games with you than I probably should because I should be playing <laughs> strangers and randos no i mean it was really cool getting to play with a bunch of people i did an innistrad original innistrad draft that was amazing and we did a whole tiktok thing with the other creators in it uh i was in the cosplay booth for basically four hours just jamming games of modern against anyone who would walk by the table and that was amazing um the by the way my blue white uh black esper jeskai stoneblade uh sorry not esper geist stoneblade list is like so good let me tell you. <laughs> I would rather uh, talk about your Burning Vengeance deck that you drafted in the Innistrad draft because oh, it was yeah. so sick. You got right. like you got the ultimate deck from that format. I like looked at it and I was just like, this is ridiculous. Get yeah, out of there's like one deck that I wish I got more of it. But the nice thing is that either both of them, you can just go into like the blue flashback spells and just like pick those and hope you either like are, get red Burning Vengeance cards or you get green black uh spider spawning cards i got the burning vengeance ones and oh man like and, and then i got I, I got the someone passed me an invisible stalker because fools <laughs> uh and then i like just like the first equipment that showed up i first picked it and literally i won of the eight i won the whole thing of the uh i think i played there was one that went two of the two of the two rounds went to game three so of the eight games i played three of them were one off of invisible or two of them were one off of invisible stalker with holding the like human dagger or whatever. No, it, it's, it's the format's So amazing. It, the one thing I will say, and it's bad for you. It did remind me that I kind of like, I would rather play just a full on draft of one of those old sets and spend the money to do it 
than a chaos draft that includes maybe a pack of one of those sets. And I kind of realized it. I had a Zendikar pack in the chaos draft we did and I opened it. And I was like, oh man, I kind of wish I was just doing a Zendikar draft <laughs> where like those I cards totally are disagree. so cool and iconic. I totally disagree. You, you, you steal your tongue, sir. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I love chaos drafts because because the, the other side is like I can spend $45 in a chaos draft and get to play with some of those packs versus a Zendikar draft for a group is like a hundred dollar expense, right? So there, there is a va- vast different in price point of what we're talking about, but also, guys, just for the record, Alex was tired and he got his butt kicked by me in the chaos draft. So oh, just, I lost very know. badly in round one. And then in the inner stride draft, I took the whole thing by myself. And there was definitely one game where uh, uh, Nat draft Nat on Twitter. She had um, the like a, like the the one two one mana tap a creature down human, but like put the 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 two mana enchantment that gives plus two plus two and flying that's also really good oh yeah yeah, yeah. uh uh gift of flight geist wings or something i don't know but but then i play i that's the game i had turn one dagger turn two invisible stalker turn three and literally it was like she was doing three damage to me a turn and i was just doing four damage and that four damage was just more than the three even though she swung first that but it was literally then we neither of us cast another spell it was just like I take three, you take four. I take three, you take four. Um, it's Don Don. We reinvented Don Don. And the shot draft is so good. Like, uh, I, 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 there's a TikTok that we can link to that has my entire, I filmed the entire draft pick by pick so you can see my whole pick order, which is cool too. It might be my favorite. It might be my favorite draft format of all time. It's, it's, it's in my top three, I think. Like, it's like, definitely like one of the ones that I drafted the most. I'd be really down to redraft Scars of Mirrodin, just straight up triple Scars. Uh, like one of my favorite draft archetypes is like the dinosaur deck in that format, where you would just get every Murr you can and every six drop green creature in the format, and it just like worked because you're able to like on turn three start dropping six fours one after another. Uh, I never drafted Scars triple Scars. I, the ones that I remember that are like the best are Rise of the Eldrazi is an epic draft format. It's really fun. Innistrad is really good. Original Ravnica and then the triple Ravnica Dissension Guild Pact is a great format. Time Spiral Draft is super fun. Like it's the original, the original Time Spiral Future Sight uh, Planner Chaos Draft is, is great. Those are probably the ones that come to mind for me. I didn't actually draft cons when it was a first a format. I did a retro one a few years later and I loved it. Um, yeah, cons, cons, is, cons, is, cons is top there for me as well. Cons is up there. I think I just have drafted the most of cons ever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like cons and Return to Ravnica are probably the two sets I've drafted the most. Innistrad and Scars of Mirrodin were I drafted a lot, but also kind of didn't know what I was doing at the time to some extent which has some nostalgia. I love Zendikar. Zendikar is the first draft I ever won. Um, it's like super just like, don't pick blue, pick every plated geopede. I had a plated geopede in the pack and I was like, plated geopede can't be good in a regular format. It has to be only good yeah. in Zendikar, right? Like a first strike, two mana, three, three, if you only play lands, can't be that good in chaos draft. And I should have picked it. That was a mistake. I was wrong. I, um, I, my favorite pack that we have started throwing into the chaos drafts is Apocalypse, which it's a bit of a throwback for those that are listening to this that like are not old players, but for anybody who doesn't remember, Apocalypse was the first expansion set that was enemy colored. So um, you had Invasion Block, which was the first major multicolor set, right? Invasion was fun stuff. Plane Shift was the second set. It was 
smaller set. And then Apocalypse was like, so you had like blue green and you had blue red and you had white black, like the pain lands, the enemy colored ones all first came from Apocalypse. But what was so great about Apocalypse and what I think is so fun about it for Chaos Draft is the card design. It's like the oldest, most played out version of we're going to staple two good effects to each other for a fair price and you're going to get them. So Fire Ice, for instance, is first printed in that set. Cards like Consume Strength, Death Grasp. Um, you have cards like Jilt. They're they're like they're not overpowered cards, right? The commons especially are exactly appropriately costed cards for like mid-level, mid-power draft. But they're so much fun. <laughs> they're like, it's almost like surprising that Lightning Helix didn't exist in Apocalypse because it feels like a card that should have just been in Apocalypse. Sure. But like, that's like, ex- and, and when you talk about for a chaos draft, what's the most fun thing you can have? That's the set because like you will inevitably get multicolored cards that seem really fun to play and they'll always be just good enough. They won't be broken. There's nothing busted in Apocalypse, but it's like the best balanced set that I can think of. RTR actually has of similar feel to it my regret in playing the format this the the chaos draft this time around was uh i didn't pick up how many good graveyard sets were in the packs like or that there was that decent synergy and i was definitely in a seat that if i had like gone deep on graveyard strategies i could have had a sick deck and like definitely as i was like looking at cards i was like oh if i picked those graveyard cards and then i was like oh that happened like six times and eventually i was like oh my deck would have been amazing then I got to play in a shot. So I feel like it was fate that that was the fate, right? It was like, I didn't pick the graveyard deck then. So I got to play it later, but it's really, it's a really great format. I mean, both I like th- this is my favorite type of limited, right? Like I don't love modern limited, but I mean, yeah. what I mean by that is not modern, like the podcast uh, <laughs> or I guess the format new sets. And I think it's more that like, this is, this has always been true for me. I love limited in the first week of a set, but when it's like, 10 weeks into a set and people know what's good and you don't, it's like really not my jam. Cause I just have a super, super tilt. Yeah. You get playing like... that whole time. And the benefit of old sets and chaos draft old sets. A, I was playing more, but be like, everyone's kind of on loose footing, right? No one's like, ah, no way I'm ever letting an invisible stalker pass. I got to pick three. That was sick. Uh, and like, you know, in cash draft, no one knows what's going on. So, so I think, I think that's always really great. So one of the things that came to mind when I was at Magic Summit was I used to love brewing decks. (laughs) It was like something I used to like doing a lot. And I ran into some old friends and the subject of Mirror Superior came up. And so I started to go in the tank as I do. And I started to try to figure out, is there a deck that could play? And you have told me many times that card is bad. It's been outclassed. A five, six for two, even if you could just cast it is not that good anymore. Which is mm-hmm. totally fair. So, but I was trying to figure out, okay, like what's the deck that would want to play Mirror Superior? And the card that came to mind that I started thinking about was Oswald Fiddlebender, which I know is a card that you're a fan of. Do I do like myself a birthing pod variant? <laughs> do you play a commander deck with Oswald or no? I have two with him in it. Um, and I do actually have a modern deck right here that was built to kind of function with Oswald in it. It's like a food deck, but I took it apart to make um the uh, what's it called deck that I have, but it's playing Oswald. It's playing Emery. It was the Academy manufacturer deck we played on stream. Actually, that one time okay. uh, it's gotcha. playing Karn. Basically, you know, all those. And the, the idea being like Oswald can combo you into your time sieve combo. 
So I couldn't figure out a good Oswald combo that was like, if you can activate Oswald with like X card, you win in the same way that like old birthing pod decks work. Like I couldn't, I couldn't find one that I wanted to play. Anyway. I'm sure it exists. Probably. It's, it's, it's a, a, a sort of the meek uh, with time Steve and, and um, Dr. Foundry. You, what you, but like you just take an extra turn and then like how, to, and you make lots of guys or like, you get infinite turns. Oswald, if you have five I mean, mana and those three artifacts in play, you go infinite. Got it. Okay. So that's, in, so that's, you have, in, you have infinite turns, then infinite life and infinite, or you have all the turns you have left in your deck, I guess. And then you have infinite life. Um, and you just attack with a massive army once you get to more than three mana above. So what I was trying to figure out was, okay, so Oswald, white card, other good white card, Stoneforge. Stoneforge gets a seven drop called Caldra Complete, which means that in theory, you can get a seven drop into play for pretty cheap and Oswald could turn that into some sort of eight drop, which was a cool idea when I thought of it. I was like, okay, like Sphinx of the Steel Wind or uh, Sundering Titan, right? There's a, there's a few Platinum Empyrean that are powerful cards, none of which are like, if I get this in play, I win. So it's a bit of like hard work to try to do that, but I still think it's cool because Caldra is good anyway. And then the other card that was like, okay, if you're playing heavy artifacts, you can play Thought Monitor. It's another seven drop that comes into play. It's cheap. It's not actually seven, but it represents seven. So again, seven can, you know, Oswald into an eight. So I do think Sphinx of the Steel Wind is interesting because it's pro red, which means Mm -hmm. that um, Unholy Heat can't kill it. Um, And obviously Prismatic Ending can't kill it, nor can Fatal Push, nor... So, like, the only card that is commonly played that can kill Sphinx of the Steel Wind is Solitude at this point. Like, that's, that's like, the main card that would get rid of it. Sure. Um, Fury can't do anything against it. Can't even, like, combo with, like, a Bolt or something. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, like, Sphinx... And, and like, it's... If you can untap with it, like, it's pretty good, right? It's, like, a 6... It's a 6-6, like, has protection, has lifelink... Uh, can probably get you back in the game pretty hard. Mm-hmm. So, and Sundering Titan obviously is a good card. Like <laughs> Sundering Titan in some situations in modern could be quite good. So I was like, okay, if I'll play Stoneforge anyway, and Caldra is really good anyway, and if and Aspire and, and if Thought Monitor can get into play for cheap, it's good. So I was like, that's that's the core. And then I was like, all right, well, that means Solitude is in play because I'm playing a bunch of white cards. Mm-hmm. And I need to have white, so I need to be able to remove things. So Portable Hole is a really good card because it's an artifact that stays in play to beef up your artifact count. Sure. And then I'm pretty sure that just like Esper Sentinel is the best one drop you can be playing in that deck mm-hmm. because it's just an artifact and it's a one drop. Mm-hmm. So like that's already like the core of the deck. And then I was trying to figure out something else that Oswald could do with cheaper things that are not just seven drops that would still be good. Because the problem with the deck, obviously, is that Stoneforge and Oswald are both the same card and they want to come down on two and then do something on turn three. Sure. But you want them to be basically in play together. So that's the current brew I'm on. But what was fun about it was I think the deck could probably play one mirror superior. Like it could just play a single copy because like you could turn Esper Sentinel into a five, six. Like it's just easy. Sure. Okay. Right. Like you could just like have a five, six that any of your one drops, your, your relic of progenitus or like whatever, whatever one drop you're playing in the deck can just turn into a five, six if you want to, which sure. seems fine. Um, it's sort of sad. <laughs> I want to go heavy on, I want to go heavy on superior. And I was like, okay, I can play vile and four superior. And then my vile can turn into like another superior. But it's like, I just don't think you can play four superior in the deck. I'm talking about. It just doesn't, I just, I just doesn't don't think it's, it's, it's like, well, here's okay. Here's the problem. Tarmogoyf is currently considered a bad card. 
Mercipurian is a harder to cast, more fragile Tarmogoyf. Yes. Agreed. So if you're not getting like some sort of incidental value out of it, it's like hard to justify. Sure. Now that's not to say Oswald doesn't put him in the play though. Does it? It does. Doesn't it? It does. So if we want to talk about Oswald shenanigans is the new prototype mechanic. Oh, sure. So, so I mean, we're, next, next week will be when we do our, I, I have a cool idea to film with, uh, to, for maybe a brother's war review, but the fact that Oswald can take one of the prototype cards, um, it can unfortunately cannot. I looked this up already. Why can't it? If you cast a seven drop creature for its three casting cost face, oh, you have to, you have to, you have to blink it. You have to blink it while it's in play to get, get the bigger side. Well, that's actually not that hard. Is there artifacts that blink artifacts? Do you have to go to the five drop artifact? The guardians probably the, uh, no, the only artifact that untaps anything is the is the spider. No, no, monitor. no, not untap. Blink. There is an untap. There's there's co- the corridor monitor will let you go from two to. Four. Oh, or not not spire. Yeah, 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 corridor monitor, the two drop. But yeah, but, uh, but I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about blinking. Is there an artifact blink. that blinks an artifact or creature? I don't think or there it, is it's, a. It's um. I have one in front of me. There is one in this deck that I just made. Not in this one. I'm gonna find it. It's called. Don't no one say anything. Or I guess if you're here, please comment below what what the card I'm thinking of as I find <laughs> it. It's a four drop artifact. It's a five, it's a five it drop. It's a five drop artifact that at the end of your turn conjurer's closet artifact uh, five mana oh. at the beginning of your end step. You may exile target creature you control, then return the card to the battlefield under control. So you do have to have it enter play, then survive to the next person's turn, and uh, and then untap with it, and then. And then you could Oswald the 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 prototyped creature, or you just so play you like ephemerate. Turn- just play four ephemerate, four solitude, and have that as a a B plan going on in your deck. You like turn your like <sighs> solemn into like a conjurer's closet or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's it like I couldn't. I was not able to figure out in my mind a version of this deck that seemed good enough to actually build. It was close. There was like a lot of cool synergies that mm-hmm. were that I thought were interesting. I really do like the idea of of Stoneforge getting a seven drop, Oswald being able to turn that seven drop into a sick eight drop. I think that's cool. Like I think it's like an interesting. The problem with that is like in most cases of all the things I was thinking about, it's like Calder completes pretty good. So like. I don't know if Calder complete is actually worse than like Sphinx of the steel wind. It feels like that it's better. Like, I don't think you'd sure. want to like turn it into that. And it's like the same thing with Esper Sentinel. It's like, it's not a five, six, but it's probably just like better than sure. like a five, six. So like everything I was trying to come up with that was cool and clever just makes me feel like the cards that are good enough to play. Aren't I, good I enough. will say, I will say Oswald is a card that the right thing being printed lets you do something stupid with it. Right? Like, he he is already on the verge of being modern playable. Um, I don't think it's mere superior shenanigans, but I do think that it is a one day this 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 uh one day this he's a he's a hobbit, he's a halfling. I think one day I this halfling thought, will be people. <laughs> I think the thought monitor plan might be the better of the two, which is why I was going to play like four of those and like obviously one Caldra because like. Playing a seven drop two two flyer that draws you two cards and then like turning that into a Sphinx of the Steel Wind is really good. That's sure. that's 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 like, that's like actually powerful. 
because you've gotten all the value and like having a two two flyer anymore doesn't matter. Right. Um, I think there's something cool there. I think like affinity with Oswald is an interesting idea. Like mm-hmm. you, there's there's probably like an Oswald affinity deck that just exists because like his whole point is to turn things that are supposedly arbitrarily cost well, more into something bigger. The problem with affinity is that's that's kind of why I was doing it in the like the food deck because the problem with affinity is like what are you tutoring for? Right, like you're you're just gonna end up with the like the point of affinity is it's a bunch of a mat like um like these are all that do the same thing and they're all aggressive and cheap. So what does Oswald get you to? What Oswald needs is uh you want to build it like you want to build birthing pod, right? You want to build it so that like you're playing with things that are either really good tutorable answers, right? You have your silver bullets that just like sorry graveyard deck, I have as a one you know as a two drop in this deck the ability to find any answer to graveyard decks or Tron or whatever. And then you, on the other hand, have like a decent beat down deck. And then on the third hand, you have a, a combo deck that just like, if I spend three turns with Oswald in play, I will win no matter what. And then deal, right. The problem with Oswald just, he's a lot more fragile than birthing pod. For sure. For sure. I mean, there is, there is some thought to like, what if you play the Aether Vile Oswald Superior build where like that's you're you're still playing everything I just talked about, but the whole deck is hard artifacts and you're just a beat down deck so that like you do have Vile into Superior as part of your plan. You can turn like relics of Progenitus and things like that into five sixes and you have the top end of everything we just talked about of, of thought monitors and you have Calder completes and you have Sphinx of the Steel Winds and like these bigger things. And you're a deck that basically like Oswald makes better, but you don't need Oswald. Like you like the deck is still perfectly good without Oswald. Like there's there might be there might be the the birthing pod value version of the deck you're talking about that allows you to play Superior because it's just a good thing you can get to for two mana. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Like that's a that's a kind of a fun idea. So Anyway, that's enough of that. I just I, I tangented for like ten minutes on my new no, no, new no. brew idea. That's where the modern we talked about modern for the, the end of the bit there. So uh so that that's it for the episode today. Thank you so much. It's been great being back. Uh make sure to hit all of the follows below. If Twitter's still here on Monday, we'll see you there. If not, make sure to follow on Tumblr, TikTok, Facebook, Mastodon, <laughs> and Instagram. Uh, and also hit that like and subscribe if this is your first time here. Uh, we will be back next week with our uh, brothers, the beginning, if not the only episode for our brothers war review for modern. See you guys next week. Uh, I've been your host, Alex Kessler, and this has been your my co-host. Ben Bateman. All right. Guys. Thanks, everybody. This has been a production of Time Traveler Media. Sending podcasts into the future.